You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, March 22nd. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Former Sitka School District Superintendent Steve Bradshaw is returning to the job. After a two-and-a-half-hour executive session on Monday, the Sitka School Board unanimously voted to hire Bradshaw as interim superintendent without public discussion. Bradshaw comes to the role with over 40 years of education experience in Alaska and Montana. He most recently worked as superintendent for Columbia Falls School District in Montana. He was Sitka's superintendent for 13 years and served as Sitka High School's principal for three. Bradshaw was one of two applicants the board interviewed to replace Sitka's current superintendent, Frank Hauser, who submitted his resignation in February, effective June 30th. Sitka School Board member Mitch Mork is stepping down from his seat on the board due to scheduling conflicts. Mork was appointed to the school board last summer to fill a vacant seat and won a new three-year term in this fall's municipal election. In an email to KCAW, Mork said that time and conflicting obligations during typical board meeting times were a big factor in his decision to resign. The Sitka School Board has begun meeting more often this winter as it began its search to hire an interim superintendent. The board is also reckoning with the prospect of layoffs as it weathers a budget crunch. The school board accepted Mork's resignation on Monday night. The board will be accepting letters of interest for Mork's seat through Monday, March 27th. The candidates will be announced on March 28th and will be interviewed at the regular school board meeting on April 5th. The selected candidate will serve on the board until the October 3rd election. The Sitka Sound Sacro Herring Fishery will go on two-hour notice on Thursday morning. That means at any time after that, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game can announce a fishery opening with two hours' warning. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game on Monday conducted aerial surveys of Sitka Sound from Cape Burnoff to St. Lazaria Island. According to a press release from the department, no spawn or herring schools were observed during their flights. From boats, several herring schools were observed from Indian River to Deep Inlet and from Inner Point to Mountain Point, as well as southeast of Big Gavansky Island. Two test sets were conducted from department and industry vessels to assess the maturity of the fish. The fishery targets the herring's eggs, known as roe, which are sold internationally. A test set of herring pulled from South Galangan Island showed fish with around 3.5% mature roe at an average weight of 129 grams. Mature roe for a test set pulled near Mountain Point was much lower, at 0.2%, with the fish weighing around 90 grams on average. In order to open the fishery, state managers want to see fish with at least 10% mature roe. The state's research vessel, the Kestrel, will arrive in Sitka on Wednesday morning and immediately conduct a vessel survey. Last year, the guideline harvest level for the fishery was 45,000 tons, but fishermen only caught around 25,000. That was still the highest harvest on record. The guideline harvest level for this year's fishery is set at 30,000 tons. The fishery and its management have been under scrutiny for years. In 2018, the Sitka Tribe of Alaska sued the state over management of the fishery. That case was settled in 2021, but in December of last year, attorneys for STA called for a reversal of the Superior Court's ruling before the Alaska Supreme Court. The court is expected to issue a written decision on the tribe's appeal sometime this year. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game held its annual fishery meeting last night on Zoom. Sitka Tribe of Alaska is holding an informational meeting on herring today at noon in the executive boardroom of the tribe's administration building. The public is invited to attend. A resolution to protect the southeast Alaska troll fishery passed in the state legislature Monday on a unanimous vote. House Joint Resolution 5 calls on state and federal governments to defend Alaska fisheries from a lawsuit filed by the Washington State-based environmental group, the Wild Fish Conservancy. 
The suit seeks to stop the southeast troll fishery over what the Conservancy sees as a threat to the southern resident killer whales in the Puget Sound. The organization's position is that terminating southeast king salmon troll fishery might allow Chinook salmon to migrate back down the coast through key hunting grounds of the southern resident killer whales. The southern residents exclusively eat fish. They are also genetically, behaviorally, and even culturally distinct from other groups of killer whales. But according to NOAA Fisheries, the population has been in decline for decades. They now number in the 70s. The resolution to support the troll fishery was introduced by freshman Representative Rebecca Hemshute of Sitka, who sits on the House Special Committee on Fisheries. It received support across party lines in the Alaska Senate. Hemshute lauded the resolution's overwhelming bipartisan support in the latest vote. She said that she, quote, hopes the Wild Fish Conservancy reconsiders pursuing this misguided lawsuit and instead starts addressing the factors impacting southern resident killer whales in their own backyard. The Senate also heard from stakeholders from the troll fishery. Tim O'Connor is the mayor of Craig and a commercial troller. He said the closure of the fishery would, quote, devastate the troll fleet and have significant economic impact on the region. Many local governments in southeast Alaska have passed resolutions opposing the lawsuit, including Petersburg, Wrangell, Ketchikan, Sitka, and Juneau. Southeast Alaska's sea otters were driven to near extinction by the fur trade in the early 20th century. But since they were reintroduced to the region in the 1960s, their numbers have grown considerably. Sea otters are a keystone species, protecting the vital kelp beds, but they also prey on crab and clams that make up lucrative fisheries. They're protected by federal law, and only certain Alaska Native people can hunt them. But as otter populations have grown, so have calls to loosen the strict federal rules protecting them. And as KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, that has some people concerned. Christy Ruby stands in her studio on the north end of Ketchikan, next to a table piled high with soft blue, red, and purple sea otter pelts. These are her best-selling colored sea otter, and since 2017, she's used the dyed fur in her traditional handicrafts. I use them sparingly because it costs twice or three times as much to have them dyed that color. She says the rich colors are what make her creations unique. She's grateful for her ability to hunt the animals. But Ruby worries that efforts to reform sea otter management could jeopardize her business and traditional creations. To be clear, scientists aren't sure that otters are overpopulated in southeast Alaska. There are now more than 25,000 spread throughout the panhandle, and one 2019 study estimated that the region's ecosystems could support three times as many. But that hasn't stopped efforts to reduce their numbers. Ketchikan's borough assembly recently took the topic to lawmakers in Washington, D.C., and asked for control of the federally managed species to be turned over to the state, or for current regulations to change. It's not the first time the issue has come up. Petersburg's assembly called for higher harvests in 2018. The late Congressman Don Young attempted to make it easier to sell intact hides. Proponents say that increasing sea otter hunting would help bolster lucrative shellfish fisheries. But Ruby says those changes won't fix the problem, at least not without putting her traditional work at risk. She says state control of otter hunting could result in more red tape, preventing her from creating her work. The state will get funding, and they'll have areas where they'll close off to even natives won't be able to hunt that area because they say there's lack of otters there, which, you know, you cannot track an otter. They move all the time. She's worried about allowing non-native hunters to kill sea otters. That's against the law under the 1972 Marine Mammal Protection Act. If the rules are relaxed, Ruby says she thinks hunters will flood the market with hides and lower the value of their traditional work she creates. They'll turn them into coats and all this stuff that they want to do, and our crafts will be gone. 
because we don't have the ability to pay that much money for what the hunters will get for that hide. She's also worried about backlash. If sea otter pelts become a widely traded commercial commodity, she says she's concerned that could spark calls for hunting to be banned outright. Will Ware, a Klinka artist who lives in Petersburg, also opposes opening sea otter hunts to non-native people. He says there are simpler solutions, starting with the Marine Mammal Protection Act itself. The law currently requires hunters to be at least one-fourth coastal Alaska native by blood quantum. He says he'd like to allow any enrolled tribal member to hunt. I think you would see a lot more otters being harvested each year. That, that would be low-hanging fruit that would immediately make a difference. Weir also thinks that the rule should change to allow the exportation of tanned hides and handicrafts to Canada. Neither is currently allowed under federal law. He says Clinkett and Haida people have been sending goods through that route for years. Jeremiah James, an artist based in Yakutat, also has an issue with marketing laws. Some of his pieces have sold for around $1,000, but he can't reach a wider market. It's one thing to sell it in the country to each other, but we're just passing money back and forth, and that's not how you create wealth. He also agrees that non-native people shouldn't be allowed to kill sea otters. He says laxer rules could allow businesses to squeeze out Alaska native artists. When people talk about opening it up to more people, all I see it is another thing that's been taken away from my people. But Ware, the Petersburg artist, says he sympathizes with crabbers and dive fishermen who say that higher otter populations are weighing on fisheries. He emphasized that he doesn't want to pit fishermen and native hunters and artists against each other. We sense the frustration. Alaska natives utilize the shrimp and crab, you know, as part of our subsistence foods and our, our traditional and customary foods for millennia. We, we don't want to see the crab or shrimp disappearing any more than anyone else. Back in her brightly lit studio, surrounded by fur-draped mannequins and old sewing machines, Ruby, the Ketchikan artist, says she agrees. She thinks the answer lies in more aggressive support for native hunters, and maybe even more communication with crabbers and fishermen about where they're seeing the otters move. It's a no-brainer when it comes to actually making something happen, but we just don't get the full cooperation from everybody. The bottom line, she says, is that policymakers concerned about the impacts of otter populations should focus their efforts on increasing the capacity of existing hunters and craftspeople. She says a southeast Alaska tannery, for instance, would allow her to process more hides and cut down on considerable shipping costs. Because there's no tannery quality tannery here. We have a few tanneries, but they don't put out the quality that people really want to use. She says hunters, crabbers, and dive fishermen all have the same goal, and they should work together. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.